this is the time of year where you find that uh, you meet people, maybe you go to shake their hand or maybe give them a hug, and more often than not, they will turn around and say to you, oh, don't shake my hand, don't come near me, I'm sick, right? How many of you this week, people have said that to you? I don't know how many times someone has said to me, oh, don't shake my hand today, I'm sick. I don't want you to catch what I have. And I saw a study this week on the news that over 40 states at the moment have got a flu crisis going on. For over 40 states, that's just crazy. But it kind of happens this time of year, every year. Everyone's at home, everyone's inside, and nobody gets around. The germs get spread around. But I think it's funny that isn't it only when we get sick that we're concerned about what we're going to pass to other people? Right, so so we, we, we've got a bug or we've got a virus, and we're concerned that we don't want what we have to be passed on to other people. You know, we all actually become very courteous of one another, unless you're like a sicko and you want everyone to be sick. Uh, then we're very courteous to one another, and we don't want other people to have what we have when we are sick. But I think it's funny, it only happens when we are sick. But did you know that you are always contagious? There is something within you that is always passing on to other people. So whether you're sick or you're well, whether you're happy or you're sad, whether you're relaxed or stressed, whether you've got the joy of life or you're depressed, you are actually a contagious person. In fact, you leave your mark everywhere you go. And so I'm going to gross out the germaphobes this morning just a little. But did you know that whatever you touch, wherever you go, wherever you sit, you actually leave a deposit of yourself when you're there? It's, it's, kind, it's kind of nasty. There is something in this world uh, that, that, that's called DNA. And your DNA is your individual makeup. And wherever you go, you leave some of your DNA everywhere. Just like if you've ever fired a gun, you know that there's, there's, that there's a, a, a deposit that the gun makes. And it's gunpowder deposit. That if you fire a gun, then that gunpowder deposit could be left on you. And the gun leaves its mark. Right, and it's the same with you. There, I, I was watching a, a, a TV series and uh, a, a, about some lawyers, and a couple of months ago, I was watching a, an episode, and they started talking about this case that they were taking on this lawyer, uh, this murderer. Who uh, or somebody who had been convicted of murder, but he actually didn't murder this person, uh, and so it was kind of this this unique thing where they had actually found a hair of him on the victim's body, and they tested the DNA, and the DNA came back saying that he was guilty, and so these lawyers uh, were trying to prove him innocent. Well, what they came up with, they came up with this argument, and this argument was something called touch. DNA. And I was like, touch DNA, I've never heard of that before. And I started to, uh, after the show, I, I researched a little and, and I found out it actually is a real thing. And actually it has been used in criminal cases. And what touch DNA is, it, it, it is something that you actually can't see. See, now DNA has been used in criminal cases for years, and, and, and what it is, it's if you leave some hair or some spit or some blood somewhere, they can test that for your DNA. But touch DNA is something that you actually cannot see. What touch DNA is, it is when you actually touch something, some of your skin cells actually are left on what you touch. 
And so you can't see your skin cells when, when, when you leave it on. But what they, these forensic experts are able to do, if they, under a microscope, can see seven or eight of these skin cells, they can patch them together and they can actually work out your DNA, your touch DNA. And so in this, uh, in this TV episode, what they found out was actually uh, on this person's coffee mug, the, the, the girl's DNA was on it. And what happened, he went into Starbucks and she picked up his coffee, realized it wasn't hers, put it down. He came, they bumped, some of his hair fell on her. And then he picked up the coffee and, and they went away. And he got convicted of murder because a couple of hours she was murdered. And it was, and it was because of this touch DNA they were able to get it off. It was like a real good TV show. But did you know that the place that you're sitting right now, when you stand up, you're going to leave a little bit of yourself right there. And what you touch this morning, other people have left. So for you germaphobes, you better get your hand sanitizer out. And, uh, because those skin cells, and you, you shake hands with someone, those skin cells, that touch DNA will be on you until you wash off what they have left. And so you leave a piece of yourself everywhere that you go. And while you cannot help the fact that your skin cells are deposited where you go, no matter how much you moisturize, there is actually another type of DNA that you can control what you leave. And it's called your spiritual DNA. See, did you know that your spirit is contagious? What is within you is contagious to other people. People are actually catching what you're giving. So whether you are giving happiness or sadness, whether you are giving life or you're giving death, whether you are breathing health or breathing sickness, whether you are giving encouragement or discouragement, then people are actually catching what you are giving. So let me ask you today, when you enter a room or you enter into a conversation, what are you leaving in that room? What are you leaving in that conversation? Are you making that room lighter or are you making that room darker? What is your spiritual DNA leaving in those conversations and leaving in that room? See, you have no idea what is happening because you just think that you're getting on with everyday life. But this spiritual DNA is leaving something that you have behind And so what are you passing on to people? Are you passing on a good thing or are you passing on a bad thing? Are are, are you some one of those people really, when you come into contact with people, you should say, don't touch me because I'm sick and I don't want you to have. Or come and embrace me because what I have is a good thing and you want to have what I have. See, one of my favorite uh, scriptures in the whole Bible is, is taken from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus begins this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, he says this. He's looking at his disciples and he says that you are the salt of the earth. And then a, a verse later, he makes another statement. He says, you are the light of the world. And what he was saying to them, he was saying that, that there is something different about you compared to everybody else. And that when you enter into someone's life or if you enter into a room or a conversation, that, that, that you are to bring light to that person or that conversation or that family or that situation. 
That, that because you are salt, you are the one that is bringing flavor and you're bringing the preservatives to that room or that conversation. There is something different about you. What Jesus is telling us is this, is that when you enter a room, the atmosphere should change. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, for those of you who don't know, I, I have a second job uh, that, that I, I work in insurance and I work in an office here in, in Bel Air. And, uh, and we were having like a, a beginning of the year kickoff meeting and, and one of the ladies, it was her birthday. She was actually celebrating her 70th birthday. I, I can't believe she hasn't retired yet, but she keeps coming to work. And so they said they were having this celebration for her. And so they said, we're going to have a party for you. And then they said this, that one of our bosses said this to, to the lady, she says, we're going to bring a medium in. And so we can see if we can contact the dead. And suddenly I heard that, and something within me just didn't sit right. Didn't sit right at all. Now, for, for some people, it's just a bit of fun. But I know that dealing with stuff, like spiritual stuff like that, it can be a gateway to some bad things. I know it's not a good thing. Actually, every time you see anything in the Bible that talks about mediums or sorcerers or fortune tellers or clairvoyants, any time in the Bible, it is not a good thing. In fact, King Saul was somebody who actually lost the blessing of God on his life because he tries to raise the dead spirit of Samuel from the dead. And so when they said this, something inside of me just didn't sit right. And I just haven't been able to, to rest much since I heard this. So I found out last week that on this past Monday that this woman was going to come in and they were going to have a party and it was all the ladies in the office and she was going to come in. And so Saturday night, I I'd left something in my office, I had to go in there and I went in there and I just went up into the room where this lady was and I just started to pray because they can do whatever they want, but I know that's my place of work and I don't want my place of work to be interfered by stuff like this. And so I went and prayed. And and I just I just prayed, Holy Spirit, come in this place and let this woman be so confused that she cannot even do what she normally does. Uh, and then Monday, just before I left for the day, uh, I found out she was going to be in a different room when she was going to do this stuff. So I just went in there. I said, Holy Spirit, just let your presence fill this place. And so the next day I came in into the office and I could overhear some of the ladies speaking. And this is what they said. The, the woman said that she was trying to like contact the dead in there. She said, but she said, there's something up with this place. There's too much static. I can't get through to anything. That's what she said. And then she said that I heard them say, she said she was going to even bring some sage in. I'm like, well, I don't know what sage is going to do. Make something taste good, but I don't know what it's going to do. But she says that, that she couldn't get through and everything was static and spotty. And I overheard that and I, I sat in my office and I just smiled because I realized that the spirit of God within me was able to change the atmosphere in that room. Not because there's something special about me. It's just that I know the spirit of God is within me and that when we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come into a room, the Holy Spirit changes the atmosphere. And, and so... In your life, when you are going about your everyday activity, the Spirit of God within you enables you to change the atmosphere of rooms and situations that are going on. I love what Romans 8 uh, verse 9 says. It says this. It says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature, 
You are controlled by the Spirit of God living within you. And so the Spirit of God within you has the ability to control the atmosphere, control the environment that's around. And then Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11.1. It said, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So what he is saying, he's saying that, that we are to be uh, people who are like Christ. When we walk into a room, it should be like Christ is walking into the room. When we go into a conversation, it should be like Christ is entering into a conversation. Because we have the Spirit of God within us, directing us. Paul is saying it twofold here. He's saying first that the Spirit of Jesus dwells within us. So that means the DNA of Jesus is starting to get intermingled with our DNA. So you can't tell the difference between Jesus' DNA and our DNA. And then, secondly, he says this. He says that we're to imitate Christ, meaning we're to copy the behaviors and the patterns of Jesus as Jesus lived his life. And this is really for one purpose. So that his DNA, his spirit living within you, will be able to start to become your spiritual touch DNA. That when you touch things, it's as Jesus is touching things. So when you walk into a room, it's just like Jesus has arrived in that room. See, this is what I noticed about Jesus. Every time you read the gospel accounts, so the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the gospel accounts. They're the life of Jesus. Uh, And every time you see Jesus or hear about Jesus in a conversation with people, where Jesus went to a town or a city or into a room, this is what you notice about Jesus. Everywhere that Jesus went, he made a difference. Lives were changed. People were never the same ever again. When Jesus entered into a room. And so we are to imitate Jesus. Now you may say to me, Alex, how can we imitate Jesus? Jesus walked on water. I don't know anybody who walked on water apart from Jesus. Jesus raised the dead. I don't know if you've gone to a morgue lately. Have you tried to raise the dead? It's not that easy. Jesus fed 5,000 people. You may say, Alex, I'm struggling to... To, to feed my three, four, five kids that I've got. How can I feed 5,000 people? But this is what Paul is saying. When we imitate Christ, we're not to imitate the physical actions of Christ. We're to imitate the spirit and the behavior of Christ. We're to imitate the DNA of Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 26. And throughout this series, we're going to be camped in this verse. This is what it says. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. So when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, 
hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So Paul is telling us here in Galatians 5 that there are two forces in your life that you've got no control over. One is your sinful nature. Ingrained in you, you are a sinful person. I know some of you think you're perfect, but I'm sorry you're not. I know I may look perfect, but I'm not. We have this sinful nature within us that causes us to do things that are anti-God, against the spiritual DNA of Jesus. And then we have this other force, it's called the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that is within us. When, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says that the Spirit came and made residence in your life. And so we have these two competing forces that, that, that are going on in our lives and they keep knocking each other out. Have you ever seen one of those things on people's desks, there's like five balls and like you pull up one and you knock the other and the other one goes out. That's exactly what is happening in your life. See, when the Spirit of God is evidence in your life, the sinful nature has no room. But when the spiritual nature takes over your life and you give it room, the Spirit of God has no room. The two can't dwell together. And so Paul is telling us here that whichever one we allow to direct us, then it starts to produce fruit in our lives. And so if your sinful nature, if you allow that to direct you, and then the fruit that happens is stuff like sexual immorality, idolatry, sorcery, quarreling, dissension, division, jealousy, all that sort of stuff starts to become evident in your life and produce fruit in your life that others can see and it becomes contagious. Others start catching it. But when you let the Spirit of God direct you, then the Spirit of God starts to produce fruit in your life. And the Spirit, the Spirit of God, it's fruit like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, and self-control. And so that starts becoming fruit in your life, evidence in your life, and that starts to be contagious with other people as well. And so through Galatians 5, it is obvious why Paul tells us that we are to imitate Christ. Because if we don't imitate Christ, if we don't allow the spiritual DNA of Christ to direct us, then the alternative is destruction. It means your relationships are going to be destroyed. It means your soul is going to be very, very dark. It means that when you go into a room, you're going to make it dark and not lighter. And so if we imitate Christ, then those things stay away from our lives and the Spirit of God starts to produce fruit 
So Paul instructs us to be directed by the Holy Spirit. And throughout this series, this is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at these fruits of the Holy Spirit and how we can be contagious with this fruit so that other people start to get the spiritual DNA of Christ within us. And so as, as we start to let the Holy Spirit direct us, we start to find that not only our relationship with Christ gets better, but our relationships with others get better. We start to change the world around us. And instead of the environment changing you, you become the ones who are climate changers and you change the environment around you. The atmosphere starts to change. So when you have the Spirit of Jesus living in you, the Holy Spirit starts to produce fruits. And we start to see this, that love starts to pour through in our lives. Now, throughout this series, we're going to talk about these fruits of the Spirit. And, and, and we, today, we're going to briefly talk about love. And love is probably going to be the one that we least talk about because love is the overriding factor in the Bible. And all the other fruits are evidence of what love is. So if you've got joy, if you've got peace, self-control, gentleness, meekness, goodness within you, it is a result of love. But love is the overriding theme throughout the Bible. Jesus was asked one time, what is the greatest commandment? And in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus replied this, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus didn't say anything else. See, really, love is the greatest and really the only commandment. It is to love. And when you learn to love as Christ loves, everything else just falls into place. Everything else starts to take shape. See, when you have love in your life, then it's easy to say no to the sinful natures of your life. Because you know they start to hurt other people and they start to hurt you. When you've got jealousy and quarreling and dissension and, and drunkenness and sexual immorality and all this other stuff in your life, you know that you are not walking in love because you know you're hurting yourself, you're hurting God, and you're hurting others. And when love is your driving force, then it's easy to say no to your sinful nature. Many of you, you've been to weddings, and there's always one verse, they always, one scripture they always read at weddings. It's Corinthians chapter 13. It's called the love chapter. And everyone thinks about marriage when they look at it, but actually Paul wasn't talking about marriage, even though we've adopted it for weddings. He was talking about how we live our lives. And it says this, love is patient, love is kind, love does not boast, love is long-suffering, and goes on all these different things that are the fruit of love or the evidence of love in your lives. And, and, and as you read those, you start to understand that in our society, we really have a wrong view of love. Next week, we're going to have a whole day where people are going to celebrate love. And they think that if you just set, ten, send some heart-shaped chocolates and a card, you are expressing your love to others. You ladies are going to receive flowers maybe next week, overpriced flowers, I may say, at that. 
And you may, oh, they love me. He loves me. My children love me. My husband loves me because you receive those flowers. And this is our view of love in life. Actually, you've even seen it. It's so funny. Like over the last like couple of months, I've seen all this political nonsense that's been going on. And you see people protesting on one side. And, and the one thing that made me laugh over everything was the sign that said this. And this is not a political thing, so just don't take it like this. But it just made me laugh. It said this, love trumps hate, right? You've seen it. Love trumps hate. And I think it's so funny because they're saying it, saying hateful words about the person that they're really saying about. And this is our view of love, that love trumps hate, that if we are tolerant, then we love. But the reality is, is half these people have no idea what love really is. Because love that, do, that does not come out of a true relationship with God is always a cheap imitation of the real thing. Always. No matter how much you think he loves you or how much you think she loves you or how much we think we should spread the love. If love does not come out of a true relationship with Jesus Christ, then it is a cheap imitation of the real thing. If you want to be contagious with love, then it only comes out of a passion for God. And if you want to show your spouse that you really love them, then that has to come out of a passion for God. If you want to show your children that you really love them, then it has to come out of a passion for God. If you want to show the world that we are people of love and we want to spread the love, then it has to come out of a passion for God. See, we must look at the real thing, the real thing of love, and see how love really loved and that's how Christ loved. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2 says this, again Paul says to the Ephesians, imitate God, therefore in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So we are told as we imitate Christ that we are to fill our lives with love. See, this is what I know about Christ. Christ was a man who loved. And this is how I know he loved. When you read the gospel you always see that Jesus always thought the best of people, not the worst. He always reached out to others instead of waiting for others to reach out to him. He always directed people to look to God instead of directing people to look at their own issues. Jesus was always 100% there when he had a conversation with people. His mind was not all over the place thinking about other things and just like nodding and saying yes. He was always 100% there when he had a conversation with people. Jesus was a man of love because Jesus prayed out of compassion for others instead of out of duty because that's what Chuck folk do. See, if we can be people who just practice a few of these things, our spiritual DNA will start to change every single room that we enter into. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. He said, 
above all. So above everything else, everything else in your Christian life that you're doing, actually everything else in your whole life that you're doing, above all, he says, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Let me ask you today, when you got changed this morning, you got out of bed, maybe you took your PJs off, hopefully you took a shower, and then you put your clothes on. Did you put on love this morning? Do you go to your wardrobe or your chest of drawers and you pulled out love and you clothe yourself with love? See, this is what I know. We are told in life that we fall into love. We are told that we are to search for love. Did you know you can even go on the internet and find love these days? That's what, what we're told. We are told all these things, how to find love, but it is a complete lie. You do not fall into love. You do not find love. You do not search for love. You wear love. You wear love. For love is a piece of clothing that you choose to put on. So choose to wear love. Every day when you get up, choose to wear love. Choose to be somebody who's not going to think the worst of people, but think the best of people. Choose to be someone who thinks about others more than yourself. Choose to be somebody who, who, who will always be 100% there for others to look at people with compassion and not just look at your own issues. See, when you do that, you start to change the atmosphere of the place that you're in. You start to become contagious. Other people start to, 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 to receive the love that you are giving. I, I want to very quickly, before we finish today, I want to very quickly just practically speak to husbands and fathers this morning. Throughout the series, we'll speak to all different people, we'll speak to the wives and the mothers and the children and the different ones. But I want to speak to husbands and fathers this morning. Many of us, we think we know what it means to be a father. We think we know what it means to be a husband. We read the books. Well, the guys don't read the books, but the girls read the books for us. We see it on TV. This is what a good father is. We're told this is what a good father, this is what a good husband is. But I really think we have it wrong. Colossians 3.19 tells us this. It says, husbands... Love your wives and never treat them harshly. In the Bible, there is only one command for a husband. And that is to love your wife. Fathers, there's a command for you, for your children. To not provoke your children to anger. That's it. That's the only command in the Bible. And so often we think the role of a man is to provide, right? Provide. Because we're told in society, men provide. And I honestly believe, I do believe this. I believe that real men take the initiative and make sure that their family are taken care of first. Whether they're the breadwinner or not, it doesn't matter. But they take the initiative to make sure that their family are safe and secure and have enough. 
But your ultimate role as a man, as a husband, as a father, above everything else, is to love. Husbands, fathers, you are the ones who control the level of love in your house. Doesn't mean you have to put hearts everywhere, you know? Put flowers everywhere, dance around, you know, make daisy chains or whatever you do. It doesn't mean doing anything like that. Doesn't mean you have to get all sensitive and mushy and cry at Hallmark movies. It doesn't mean to do that. But it does mean that you are the one who is responsible for the level of love in your house. See, so often, us as men, we think that bringing home a paycheck or stamping our authority on everything is the most important thing. But I'm here to tell you today that giving your wife and your children your time, letting them actually catch your DNA, showing them true love, that is the most important thing you can do. How can you show them love if you're not there? If your kids are not excited to see you, that must tell you something, right? See, this is what I know about love. Love is present. Love listens. Love cares. Love creates an environment where kids love to come home and wives never want to leave. That is what love does. And so if you're a husband here today, if you're a father... If you're just a single guy and one day you hope to be a husband or a father, then listen to this. Your most important role is to love. Show your wife you love her. Show your children you love them. Be there for them. Listen to them. Don't provoke them. Don't anger them. Don't try to get your own way. That's the sacrifice of being a father and a husband is that the others come first and you show them that through love. So let me ask you today, when you got up this morning and got dressed, did you clothe yourself with love? When you converse with people this week, when you enter the office or go into that meeting or go into that restaurant with your friends or go, go, go into that home this week, ask yourself, am I giving life or am I taking the breath out of life? Am I making the room lighter or am I making the room darker? Am I changing the atmosphere or is the environment changing me? Am I helping people to experience Christ or am I turning people away from Christ? Imitate Christ and let love be spread everywhere that you go. Let's bow our heads in prayer.